0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 193. Royal Caribbean offers cruises around the world, and one of the hottest cruise markets these days are cruises from Australia. Cruising Down Under has become a red-hot market for Royal Caribbean, and this week, we're shifting our focus to the South Pacific Cruises to share with you tips and advice for taking a cruise from Australia. Here we go. It is truly amazing to consider how many different parts of the world you can visit while on a Royal Caribbean cruise, from the shores of the Mediterranean, to the Mesoamerican Pyramids of Central America, to the marvels of Singapore. There are ships going to so many incredible places. And part of the goal of this podcast is to share every aspect of the Royal Caribbean cruise experience, and Royal Caribbean, believe it or not, cruises from Australia, and these cruises are becoming quickly one of the most popular cruise markets around the world. Australia's proximity to the natural beauty of the South Pacific, incredible culture of Southeast Asia, and fun activities all around the world have made the land down under a real hot spot. And from time to time, I like to bring on my friends of the podcast to help share tips and advice. And when it comes to Australia cruises, I look no further than Pippa, the host of Ocean Time, a super fun video series that celebrates all things cruising. And of course, I have a link to Ocean Time at Royal in our show notes. So Pippa, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, I'm so excited to talk to you about this because this is Australian cruises in general have become such a huge thing in the last couple of years. I remember when I first started com and essentially there was like Legend of the Seas was the only ship that ever went over there, you know, and there was very very slim pickings. And I know that for you, Pippa, as an, as obviously an Australian, you can't tell from the accent, uh, a lot of folks down there are super excited to finally be getting more and more ships. We uh, You've got, obviously, the brand-new Ovation of the Seas, sales part-time over there. You've also got uh, Explorer of the Seas and Voyager of the Seas and even uh, Radiance of the Seas. That's a pretty big deployment for Australia when, you know, just, again, like five years ago, that would have been unheard of. So talk to me. Let's, let's, let's forget about planning for a second. Just as a fan, Pippa, what is, it, what is it like now to be able to have all these ships in your backyard?
1: It's fantastic, and the legend has just left us, so that was actually out of my home port in Brisbane, Um, so we did actually have five down here this uh, cruising season.
0: Nice. So, I guess let's start with the most obvious question, which is, if I go on a cruise from Australia, whether I am an Australian or from Europe or from uh, the United States, wherever, what's the experience like on an Australian cruise compared to maybe a European cruise or even a cruise from North America?
1: Yeah, well, the beauty of Royal Caribbean and their brand is you walk on and it's exactly the same anywhere in the world, which I absolutely love. So it's just like being anywhere, really.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's a great point because we should point out that… You know, you want a Royal Caribbean cruise, but no matter where you're going in, in the world, really, the experience is very, very similar. You know, you're going to, you're still going to hear all the same sounds, a lot of the food, the restaurants, especially restaurants, don't really change all that much unless you're talking about China to some extent. But really, from Australia, I mean, there's not much of a difference other than the fact the places you're visiting, obviously. And uh, I think that's obviously a big part of it. And I think as someone who's maybe trying or considering a cruise from Australia, I think you're going to find that there's a lot of, Uh, and it's going to be a very familiar experience despite the fact that you are now cruising on uh, significantly further away from maybe what you're used to.
1: Absolutely. And like you were saying, sort of five, ten years ago, there were a lot of uh, American passengers out of Australia where now it's sort of getting reversed. Australia is so getting on board with cruising and just diving in and loving it.
0: So let's talk about Let's talk about itineraries. What are some classic Australian itineraries, people? What do you think are the most popular ones in, in terms of – because Australia, obviously, is a own continent, and you have different cruising ports. You mentioned, you mentioned already Brisbane. You've got Sydney uh, and, obviously, some other ports all around Australia. So what are the, uh, what, what are the most popular itineraries or what are the places that kind of – you think are really at the top of the list for anybody considering an Australia cruise?
1: Absolutely. You've got the South Pacific, which goes to New Caledonia and Fiji, which is just absolutely beautiful, beautiful waters, beaches, the wildlife um, and the culture of the, the locals. Um, you've got New Zealand, which is very, very popular, um, and you go for those cruises. They're, they're really great. There's a lot of uh, port days. You've got then sort of little cruises um, to nowhere or to Brisbane. Um, Then you have cruises that go around Australia, which is a great option. And you can visit a lot of cities going around Australia. And then you, of course, have the repositioning cruises to and from Australia, which are a great option as well.
0: Which itinerary do you like the most?
1: Oh, um, probably South Pacific. And I would love to do an Australian one, and I would love to do a repositioning from Hawaii to Australia. It would be great.
0: Yeah, something that people don't know about is that Royal Caribbean does offer cruises that go from usually somewhere on the west coast of the United States, like Seattle or Vancouver, to they stop in Hawaii and then also make their way eventually down to Australia and back. So, obviously, there's one that goes eastward and one that goes westward. And it's kind of a – definitely if you got the time, boy, what a great way to travel literally the world.
1: Yes. Yeah. And our our cruising season um, down under is from September to April.
0: Right. And if I remember my high school – I don't know if it's geography or science. But in that case, that's your winter or your summer?
1: That's our summer.
0: That's your summer. Okay, cool. And, what, you know, in the United States, a lot of times we talk about cruises, uh, Royal Caribbean cruises, that is. Typically, we talk in the in the time frame of seven-night cruise. That's probably the most common one. There are shorter ones. There are longer ones. But I would say most Royal Caribbean cruises in North America are seven nights. Is that still the case in Australia, or does it vary more?
1: No, it's definitely more. Um I've got like South Pacific average would probably be in nine nights. New Zealand is fourteen nights. Um, the repositioning yeah is sort of like eighteen to twenty two. It's just that the islands are so far away. So from leaving Australia, you'd be looking at at least two sea days to to go get to the islands, and then on the way back. So yeah, they're they're longer nights or
0: cruises. Absolutely. Yeah. So I definitely want to have more vacation time, uh, anticipating not only that, but also getting there, getting back, and, and whatnot. What do you think are the. You mentioned there were a lot of different itineraries, but co- just talking about Australia for a second, some beautiful ports there. And you mentioned some of the. I know we, people always talk about, you know, when you talk about Australia, you think about the South Pacific, right? Going to Fiji and to, uh, you know, Bora Bora and to New Zealand. But certainly there's some amazing places to visit within Australia. And there are cruises that go around or at least see most of the many of the coastal cities in Australia, is that right?
1: Absolutely. Um, Hobart out of Tasmania is just beautiful um, with, again, the the scenery, the wildlife. Then you've got uh, Darwin at the Northern Territory, the top of Australia, which is um, with national parks and crocodiles. Then on the west coast, you have a little coastal town called Broome where they do a lot of pearls. Um, and it's just there, – there, there are so many beautiful ports around Australia as well.
0: Awesome. That, that's, uh, that's great to hear. And I think if you're, if you're talking to uh, perhaps Americans or Europeans who are coming there for the first time to Australia, what would be some tips that you would share with somebody who's going on their first cruise out of Australia, regardless of itinerary, just you know, in terms of acclimating them to, the, to an Australian cruise?
1: Um, Well, coming into Sydney, it's really easy to actually join a ship. You can basically, from the airport, get a train 15, 17 minutes straight to Circular Quay, which brings you to basically the Harbour Bridge, the Opera House and the the cruise ship terminal right there. It's a magnificent way to uh, join the ship. But the view is just amazing. And again, it's just so easy and seamless to uh, get on board and go through that process like anywhere. Um, and then you're in one of the most beautiful harbor cities of the world.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sydney, I don't care which photo it is. You can take the worst photo with the oldest phone in the world. It's still going to come out beautiful with the, with the Sydney opera house and that bridge. I never know the name, but we all know it, that that's the Sydney uh, bridge. And, it, it's You're absolutely right. Beautiful photos, uh, being able to see it from there. There is actually another cruise terminal in Sydney. Is that right?
1: Uh, there is, um, but Royal Caribbean only go out of that one.
0: Okay. That makes it really easy then. We don't have to worry about that other one. Um, what would it be – now, you've dealt with this because obviously you've left Australia. You've flown around the world. What would be your advice for someone in terms of jet lag and being able – how much time do you think you need to acclimate yourself to – Or sort of acclimate yourself to uh, the time changes and kind of getting, you know, rested. I mean, it it probably goes without saying that you probably shouldn't plan on arriving for your cruise the day of your cruise.
1: Absolutely. No, I definitely wouldn't do that. And because Sydney is so beautiful and if you can take the time, get there two days, three days earlier. Um, And it is a long flight, but it definitely is doable, Uh, especially with technology these days on the plane. You have so much entertainment you know you watch three movies and you're in australia (laughs) Um, always you know upgrading is a great option that you can get some good sleep Um, you can do work on the plane Uh, consider sort of a sleeping aid it could help Uh, exit rows are always great for sort of the leg room and make sure that you keep hydrated and drink a lot of water on on the plane
0: that's some great tips right there, especially when you're going down there. What would be some uh, recommendations to see, like things to do in Sydney as an example? I, I mentioned the Opera House. And I think most people could probably figure that one out on their own. But what might be some other things you think are really must-see activities while in Sydney? Yep.
1: Uh, have you heard of Bondi Beach?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> but again, <laughs> well, my, ladies, my knowledge I of think... it was limited to the to the Opera House. So <laughs> Yeah. All
1: right. So Bondi Beach is the most famous beach in Australia. Um, and definitely go and check that out. Uh, There is lots of ferries on the harbour, and another great trip is taking the ferry over to Manly, uh, which is just a beautiful scenery as you go over, and again, it takes you over to a beach. um, Then the city itself, and yeah, it's a great place.
0: Nice. What would be, uh, in terms of the, once you're on board the ship, and you're visiting these different destinations, how would you compare the ports you're visiting? Are these the kind of ports? Are you mostly tendering? Are they mostly uh, docked? What- how does that kind of work uh, in terms of when you visit each port?
1: Yep, out of Australia, well, visiting Australian ports, they're all um, ports. In the islands, probably about 50-50 are tendering at the moment. They are trying to build some docks, Um, but they are small islands. One of my favorites is called Mystery Island, and um, it's only um, 0.6 miles by 200 yards. It's a very small place. No one actually lives on the island, and so there's tendering there, yeah.
0: Nice. Uh, What about when you're visiting... um how about New Zealand? That's obviously a big one because I'm uh, very close to Australia and a pretty popular destination there. What are your recommendations for visiting New Zealand on a on rail cruising cruise?
1: Oh, just... So, again, most of those are ports. Um, you've got the fjords, which are down south, which are just amazing. You're sort of... You're going in through um, an opening where you just don't think the ship will be able to fit, and you're so close to the land and it's absolutely the the scenery in new zealand is amazing just um and all the different ports um it's it is really really beautiful to see
0: absolutely what are what's your favorite port in in new zealand
1: oh gee i'll have to um dunedin
0: dunedin i was wondering yeah i was saying dunedin
1: But then, yeah, uh, so many- but then you've, got, you've got Wellington, which is really beautiful as well. And yeah, nice. It, it, it's, it's funny because people ask me, like, what's your favorite ship? And I, it's like, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite child? You can't pick.
0: <laughs> it is cool. I love seeing the, uh, the the natural beauty. And obviously, these cities are also pretty darn cool to be able to, to visit there and get a little bit of culture, a little bit of history. What do you think? Let me ask you this because, as you know, Pip, I'm all about the food. What is the best place for food on an Australian cruise? If there is there like a port that to you is like they've got some amazing local cuisine that really stands out as as a great choice? Because I mean, you know, in in the Caribbean, I always tell people about Central America, right? Whether it's Mexico or Honduras or Belize, I mean, that kind of Central American cooking to me is like I love that stuff, right? You know. But what what is it that does it for you in in Australia and Maybe it's wine. That was the only thing I could think of off the top of my head because obviously many folks, especially over here, we know about the amazing wines that come out of uh, Australia and New Zealand.
1: Yes, very true. There are great wines. As far as food, like Australia just loves their food. They're so diverse in it, there's so many different um, cultures within Australia. So, with the food, yeah, like just locally, sort of Thai, Mexican, like there's so much. But on the islands, they basically, you know, cooking, what is it, lobster, crayfish, um, on the beach, which is just beautiful, just unheard of sort of in Australia. So that is fantastic.
0: Let's talk about when you're packing for the cruise, planning for the cruise, right? Are there things that you might want to pack that are different? I mean, how do we plan for this? Because is this like a Caribbean cruise? Is it more like an Alaska cruise we're doing with layers? I mean, how? what's your approach for things that you need to pack, must-pack items for an Australia cruise?
1: Great question. No, it's de- definitely very tropical. But as I was talking about Mystery Island and there's some other ports, uh, they have a lot of coral on the beach. And so I don't know what you call them in America. they reef shoes?
0: Oh, like, uh, yeah, water shoes.
1: Yeah, that I would definitely recommend packing them because, it, or you'll just hurt your feet or cut your feet up. So
0: that makes sense. And along those lines, while we're talking about planning here, you know, for some reason, I guess maybe because it's just a time, the Australia cruises have a season to them as opposed to a year-round season, much like Europe or even Alaska. Is there what you consider to be high season in Australia? And by the same token, are there times of the year in which prices tend to be a little bit lower if you're willing to go on the the shoulders of the season?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So September, November is uh, really uh, good months that they have a lot of sales. And of course, over the holidays, Christmas, New Year, that's the, the most expensive cruises.
0: Yeah, just like over here. No no change there when you're talking about those kinds of sailings. How would you yeah. estimate the impact Ovation of the seas has had in the cruise market down there? Of course, the one of the newest quantum class ship and just debuted in 2015. Uh, so, or 2016, excuse me. And you know, that obviously that's that's a, a brand new ship that came to the market whereas traditionally Australia and Asia in general has seen more older ships come over there. But having Ovation must be huge for you. I mean, is is there the sense of that this is a real game-changer down there?
1: Absolutely. People were hanging out, and the amount of buzz around was fantastic. And people are so getting on board, even though the the prices are a lot different, uh, higher, because it is a brand-new ship, but because – because of that, people hasn't deterred them at all. They're really enjoying it, loving it, and booking it.
0: Nice. All right, and uh, I've got a couple last questions here for you. First of all, there was a couple things that stood out in my mind in terms of uh, things to see while if you're taking an Australia cruise. Certainly, the Great Barrier Reef is a big one because that's something that we're all obviously one of the uh, huge um, natural wonders of the world So if you're going to visit, if you want to see the Great Barrier Reef, do all Australian cruises go there? Do some go there? And what would be your tips regarding uh, seeing that reef?
1: Yep. So that would be a Queensland cruise, uh, Cairns or Airlie Beach. They are the only uh, ports that you can see the Great Barrier Reef. Um, And yeah, it's a separate one that only stays in Australia. And roughly, it's normally a seven or eight uh, night cruise um, leaving Sydney.
0: Okay. Makes sense. And you mentioned also Tasmania and Hobart because of the beautiful harbor there. Uh, And it's some natural wonders, really. Is that that fair to say that it's really uh, become a a great destination for folks who want to see nature at its best?
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, I doubt that you would have heard of it, but Port Arthur, which is um, a Pino colony where they had convicts, a lot of history, uh, and yeah, the wildlife and the scenery, it is, it's just magnificent.
0: Give me your favourite cruise port in Australia that is not Brisbane.
1: Or Brisbane wouldn't have been my
0: <laughs> favourite. <laughs> um,
1: I think Darwin.
0: Really? What do, why do you like Darwin? That's in the north, right?
1: It is. It's right at the top. They have amazing sunsets. They, you can go and go to a crocodile farm. There's fish feeding. The national park is right there, um, and it's just yeah, it's very different and beautiful.
0: All right. And my last question for you is related to tipping your gratuity. I know that Australians culturally have a much different attitude than Americans do on it. So if you were to give somebody a an American coming over, even maybe even a European coming over to Australia, what what is what's different, if anything, quite honestly, about tipping in Australia as, as it relates to, I would say, maybe even the cruise experience and what should we expect?
1: Do you mean like in Australia not on the ships?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, let's do both. Let's talk about if you're in a restaurant in Sydney versus being on board the ship and you know dealing with the usual stuff we t- we typically find gratuities. Are there any? Let's start with the ship. Is there anything different about being on a ship in Australia in terms of gratuities than there is anywhere else in the world?
1: Not if you're coming from elsewhere. However, in Australia, the Royal Caribbean have introduced where the gratuity will be added to your final fare, so it's already included and you can't take it off. And it's that because. I think Australians, it's not in our uh, culture uh, to tip. And so a lot of people were not tipping at all or taking their gratuities off or only sort of tipping $10. Um, they just – they don't understand it. They're not used to it. Um, so that's it's, – it's a shame. Um, but I think Royal Caribbean, by doing it where it's added into the total price, so it's all upfront people don't people the crew are going to get paid which is fantastic and yep. they won't really know notice the difference uh so that's booking if you're australian in australia so even if i book a cruise in the caribbean that will be it'll be included
0: sweet perfect and what if you're visiting you know you're in sydney you're having one of these great restaurants maybe you're in darwin because i hear uh that that's also got some great food as well what would be your recommendation in terms of uh, what, what's the expectation really in terms of in theory? basically the, the price is the price and that's it?
1: Yeah, there is no expectation to tip. Um, but if you have the service, you know, you're more than welcome to. But Australians um, don't expect it. Don't, not that they don't need it either, but it's, <laughs> it's, you know, but if the service is there, fantastic.
0: Awesome. Well, Pippa, this is really helpful. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me here. And I encourage all of our listeners to check out Pippa's amazing videos. It's Ocean Time. It's She's got a Facebook page. And I'm going to link to the YouTube channel because that seems to be the clearinghouse of everything. You can find it everywhere else throughout social media. But whether you're talking about uh, solo cruising or how to get free drinks, I'm always wondering how to get free drinks, uh, and drink packages and what you can and can't bring on board. She has great fun videos, and they're short, which is really nice, not long-winded like I am. I don't go – Pippa has – much better uh, approach to it. You can check it on out. And I love the props, by the way, Pippa. You always do a great job with the with the props in the videos.
1: I try. I try. It's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> it is. Good. Well, I will link over there. Pippa, thank you so much for talking a little Royal Caribbean Australia with us.
1: Thank you, Matt.
0: time once again it's answer your listener emails I love this part of the show this is when we get to dive into the Royal Caribbean blog inbox to answer questions about really anything on your mind about Royal Caribbean whether it's a question or a comment or something on your mind maybe you heard something on this podcast this is your opportunity and our first email to us comes from Uh, Brandon Owen who writes, Matt, episode 192 was great as usual. Thanks for all the money-saving tips. I have a little input on one of the questions and a further inquiry on one of the other questions from this episode. First of all, in terms of Labadee Lockers, a listener asked about the availability of lockers in Labadee. You informed us about the lockers at the Zipline, and I'm glad to know about those since we'll be going on the group cruise in September on Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas. Your listeners may also want to know that there are lockers at the location where you get your ticket for the Dragon Coaster. Those lockers also cost $8. Additionally, there are cubby holes uh, at the Dragon Coaster itself. They are unlockable, but are within eyesight of the staff, so we felt ourselves was relatively safe there. As suggested, though, we didn't leave any, leave any valuables in our back. Now, in terms of stopping at Port Canaveral and other U.S. ports, when you came into Port Canaveral as a port stop on your Anthem of the Seas cruise, it sounds like you didn't have to go through any type of immigration. I assume that's because you were coming from a directly from another U.S. port. When we sailed Empress of the Seas last year on our itinerary, it took us to Coca-Cola the Bahamas and then to Key West before returning to Miami for a disembarkation. In Key West, every passenger had to come down to the Royal Theater with their crew of citizenship before anyone could get off the ship, and this was done before 8 a.m., so there was a lot of unhappy, heads on board. This was not a full-blown customs check where you had to bring your luggage, just proof of citizenship. I'm wondering if they they had to do something similar in Port Canaveral, if that had not been your ports up. For example, if Anthem sailing had a modified itinerary. It's a great question, Brendan. I thought the exact same thing. We went through immigration, we went through, uh, sorry, not immigration, just leaving the ship. And I remember thinking to myself like on the bus, I actually spoke to my wife. I said, you know, I remember people posting photos of similar situations where people would, uh, well, like Empress of the Seas was an example. I was thinking of my good friend Michael Poole. When he was on Empress of the Seas, he was doing itineraries that would stop at Key West, and they had to do customs in the morning. And we were talking about it, and, I said, and then my wife said, well, did they stop in another port like Coco Cay somewhere outside the United States? And I think, well, maybe that was the case, because we didn't do that. Our first port stop from, we embarked in Cape Liberty, New Jersey, and our first port stop was, of course, in uh, Cape Canaveral, uh, port, port Canaveral, that is. And... We, so we didn't go anywhere else. Now, then I said, well, did we – do I know for a fact we didn't leave U.S. waters and, and, and entered international waters? I'm not much of a maritime expert to know the answer to that one. I think, it. I think Brandon, to your example, if we had gone to NASA or Coco Cay or somewhere else outside the United States first, that may have been the case. And we've seen that. So basically, for those who aren't aware, in ports like Key West or other U.S. ports, if you're visiting as a visitor – and you've been to other ports before you have to go through customs and i'm so i guess the answer to your question brand is the working answer i don't know the exact answer my guess is that it's exactly that if you visit another foreign port then and then you visit a US port even if it's just a part of your cruise itinerary you have to go through customs over there as opposed to my situation in which we started a US port visited a US port next did not have that issue there at all. Again, I could be wrong. If there's someone who knows the official maritime law answer, or at least maybe not the maritime law, it's the U.S. immigration law answer, you can certainly send me an email at matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, and we can uh, answer that for you. Next, we have an email from Frank in New York. Matt, my wife and I are booked on an upcoming Adventure of the Seas cruise to the ABC Islands of the Southern Caribbean. Having never sailed to San Juan before, I wonder how the embarkation process works in the port. Crowds, ease of check-in, distance from the airport. My wife also fancies her some time at the spa. Are the deals better to to be had pre-booking on embarkation day or on port days? Knowing you just got back from a civil itinerary, we were looking for some ideas of what to do in Curacao. We plan on getting off the ship, but we don't plan on venturing too far from the port. For our time in Aruba, we plan on spending either time at Eagle Beach or Palm Beach. You favor one over the other. And is there a better spot for beach things like water activities, drinks, lunch, etc.? Uh, what is the best mode of transportation there like bus, cab, etc.? Thanks for your time and safe travels. Frank, thank you for the email. Great questions. So let's talk about port in San Juan. San Juan actually has two ports. If you visit San Juan in as part of a port stop, right, like on Anthem of the Seas or Allure of the Seas, then you're visiting the port that's in Old San Juan. But since you're going on a cruise out of San Juan, Puerto Rico, that's your embarkation port on Adventure of the Seas, you'll be across the harbor near the airport. There's a small airport. It's not the airport. The international airport's much further away. Uh, so... Here's what you have to understand. You're gonna fly into uh, SJU, which is the airport in in San Juan. You'll need to take some sort of private transportation to the port itself, whether that's a bus, a taxi. I've traditionally taken taxis; it's just simpler and easier. And I also recommend, like all ports, Frank, to get to your port at least a day early. Meaning, you know, if you're living on a Sunday, fly in that Saturday before, maybe the Friday before. Make a port. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful area. Love San Juan, whether you're visiting Old San Juan or doing some things like else in Puerto Rico is beautiful. And getting there at least a day early not only gives you more fun things to do, not only does it start your vacation time a little bit earlier, but it buys you buffer time in case there are any travel delays. So you don't want to be that guy who's freaking out because your your, uh, your plane is delayed or canceled and now you're trying to figure out how you're going to be able to salvage the rest of your cruise. So, you know, getting there early is always a good idea. In terms of, once you get to the airport, the airport to your port is roughly, as I recall, about 45 minutes or so, give or take, depending on traffic and how fast your driver is and all that. It's not much in that area. Uh, if you're staying in Old San Juan, the answer is no. You can't walk there. You should take a taxi. I took a taxi. It's very easy to do that, and it's probably the best thing to do. Uh, whether you're coming from Old San Juan or one of the hotels in uh, regular San Juan or anywhere else, I mean, probably going to be your best bet. In terms of the deals for the spa, you know, you can book you can book sh- uh, spa treatments online via Royal Caribbean's cruise planner. I really don't know that there's much of a benefit to doing so. Certainly, I tell people all the time, booking your drink packages, booking your shore excursions, booking your internet packages will not can save you money and, more importantly, save you time. The spa is a little bit of a different animal. Uh, it's There are going to be specials offered on every day of your cruise. Now, the, the best specials, the most lucrative specials, are typically found on days in which it is a port day. So you're going to be in maybe Antigua or Barbados, one of those kind of ports, and... There'll be different specials on those days because, of course, some people are off the ship. They want to keep their business going, so they offer more lucrative deals. I think you're probably going to – your best bet, Frank, is going to be, I think, to wait to get on board the ship. And see what's available to you. Now, of course, it also depends what kind of treatments your, your wife is interested in, right? I mean, if it's just a Swedish massage, you're probably just better off just booking it on the cruise planner so you can assure yourself of the time. One of the things that does go quickly are time. Just don't wait. Don't go to day five and six to book a massage or something like that. You want to do it early. If you are going to wait to book it on board, I do recommend either booking it on day one on vacation day. You can also ask in advance, like, hey, we're thinking about doing a, a treatment on on uh, the day that we're in St. Martin. is there any, Are there any deals that are available for us for that day? You know, kind of talk it up in that regard, and certainly they can help you there. The day of specials are going to be available, but again, times will be a little more limited. So it kind of, it depends also how much your wife is, you know, if she's saying, look, I need to have a massage on, you know, it's got to be on this day at this time or something like that, then you want to book it earlier, and certainly booking online has its advantage there. Also, you get to split up the total cost of the cruise. By the same token, if you're just saying, my wife, if your wife's just saying, like I just want to have a massage at some point or a facial at some point, you could probably work that in a whole lot easier. But all things being equal, I'd probably say wait to book on board the ship just in terms of value and deals and whatnot. Now, the other thing was you mentioned, you asked me about what to do in Curacao. And I think in Curacao, is it's a great city to simply explore. Get off the ship, walk into the port. Your port area in Curacao is, you've got a fairly large port area, right? It's the part, like, it's the part of the... Uh, Island Really, uh, the facility that's where where your ship docks. But you basically walk across a floating bridge into actually Curacao, Curacao proper. And it's a really nice city. Plenty to eat and do and see over there. I think it'll be fine, certainly, taking it easy and going about it that way. Almost the same approach I take in Cozumel or uh, some other ports that have, you know, that are really... Phillipsburg, St. Martin's another one that comes to my mind. You know, where you kind of just walk around and explore. So that would definitely be a thing to do. In a ruby, read my mind in terms of either going to Eagle Beach or Palm Beach. These are the beaches that... Uh, are very popular, very beautiful, in fact. And I don't know that I favor one over the other. Of course, I've been to Aruba once, so I'm not by, by no means an Aruba expert. Uh, but I think that you know what you want to do is these, all these beaches. By the way, they're kind of like Seven Mile Beach. There's there's not just one beach; they're made up of smaller beaches. So my recommendation, Frank, would be to actually go to a taxi driver. But hey, okay, we're looking for a taxi. We're looking for a beach rather that that has things like water activities, drink, lunch, and shopping, like kind of almost a resort day pass kind of thing. By that same token, Frank, you might look into a website like Resort for a day. Look for a, a option that has a day pass to one of these resorts. It might be a, your, what you're looking for because if you value things like having tons of things to do there in terms of services, that might be an option for you. So Check that one out and I think you might find a, a good option. And if that doesn't work, if you don't find a day pass that works for you, either in terms of pricing or in terms of what they're offering, fall back on the cab. You're, I don't think you'll go wrong with that. Just tell the cab driver, hey, I'm looking for a beach that offers X, Y, and Z, and I'm sure they can help you. Uh, that's what I do in, in many cases, and I think it'll work for you as well. So thank you very much for the email, Frank. Uh, next, we have an email from Nicole from Chicago. Let me begin by saying, I love your podcast. I'm a new listener, just found it about a month ago. My family and I are headed on a seven-night Western Caribbean Cruise on Liberty of the Seas on April 16th. We are super excited and can't wait to go on our first Royal Caribbean Cruise. We have a few short questions and we're wondering if you could help. I'm 17 turning 18 in July. I love stand-up comedy. I'm super excited to find out there was a comedian on board. So I was wondering if they would allow me to go in even if it's an adult-only show. Nicole, your answer is yes. They don't check age. I've never seen anybody checking age on there. I think when they say it's an adult only show, means that's a recommendation. Like, don't bring your kids with you. You'll be fine, Nicole. Just go on and Don't don't say anything. <laughs> You'll be fine. Also, Nicole writes: We're headed to Honduras, Belize, and Cosmo. What are my favorite excursions from these ports? Roatan, which is Honduras, is a what? There's it's a beach place. It's a beach stop. There's so many great ones there. I went to Parrot Tree Beach when I was there, and I have a review of it at Real Caribbean Blog. Nicole, if you search for Parrot Tree Beach, you'll find it there, and I'll aspire to post it in our show notes there. Uh, I I really liked it a lot. Uh, What I liked about it was it was beautiful. It was fairly close to the port, and I actually ended up – so what it was funny is I booked an independent short guide, a tour guide, right, someone to drive me around, and we just spent the whole day over there. So if I were to go back, I would just book a taxi. I would – Take a taxi, hop in there, and have them drive me there. Um, there's a lot of other great. There's, I mean, there's so many great beaches in in Roatan. It's pretty hard to go wrong with with almost any of them. I mean, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, um, it I, I, it's it's kind of like saying you know that there's something. Uh, uh, trying to pick one, it's, it's like picking favorite children. I mean, you just don't. There's just, there's so many cool things to do over there, and I think you're going to find quite a bit to. To love. So, I really, in a situation like this, I mean, you can certainly look at Parrot Tree Beach. It was serene. It's basically almost a day pass kind of situation. It was very inexpensive to go there. But look at what you're looking to do in terms of, you know, different resorts and different beaches. A place like TripAdvisor is where I usually start for places like this and kind of just look at photos and see what appeals to you the most and kind of go from there. Uh, your other question, Belize. I did, I went to Belize once also. I went to Goff's Key, which was a private beach. Didn't love it. And the reason why I didn't love it, Nicole was because there's not a whole lot of facilities on board. There was not not only not a lot of facilities, there was little to no shade. I love the beach, but I love sitting in the shade. I like the ambiance and the experience without actually sitting there and baking. I'm kind of past that point in my life. Some people do love that. I mean, there's plenty of people who love just sitting out there. There's great snorkeling. Again, not my thing. But I think if I were to go back to Belize again, I would probably lean towards maybe doing Mayan ruins. They've just got some really nice ones over there. And the only thing to you know about Belize is that Belize is a tender port. And it's a really long one. It's like twenty to thirty minutes each way. So from ship to port, you're looking at a pretty long ride. So plan accordingly. And plan booking a real Caribbean shore excursion gives you the opportunity to have a guaranteed uh, reserve spot on a tender, which makes it a whole lot easier because lines for tenders can can grow very quickly when we were on Navigator of the Seas we got down to the tender line like I want to say at least 30 minutes early it stunk standing around for 30 minutes but you know what we were on the first tender out and we didn't experience any of those problems so just some food for thought and lastly speaking of food Cozumel Cozumel gosh there's so much to do in Cozumel I love Cozumel personally Nicole I just go around I go to take a taxi to downtown I walk around we shop we eat my wife gets a massage I eat some more we uh you know, we, we take some pictures. I eat a little bit more than that. You know, it's it's a great cultural experience. If you're looking for more activity and less eating, I don't know what that's like, but I would recommend some of the great beaches that are there. Nachi Kokum is an all-inclusive resort uh, that has a cover charge. What's nice about Nachi is that they limit the folks that can go there. It's a hard limit. They don't just to let anybody in there in terms of numbers so it doesn't get too crowded. There's also Mr. Sancho's Beach, was another all-inclusive, but the difference between Mr. Sancho's and Nachi, among other things is Mr. Santos has more like in the way of water toys and things to do as opposed to Nachi Coco which is really just a relaxing kind of beach day so that's what you're looking for also big shout out to Paradise Beach in Cozumel which is rather than being all inclusive it's more modular you know you sit down there and just the cost to sit on a beach uh, with a beach chair is like five bucks something like that right but if you want to do there's an aqua park you can pay to do that if you want to obviously order food and drink you can pay to do that if you want to go on a kayaking tour you can pay to do that it's kind of like you know build your own adventure kind of thing so Hopefully, that answers your question there, Nicole. I know that a lot of folks uh, worry about those kinds of things think about those kinds of things. Of course, we have reviews of some of those uh, experiences I talked about at com. Our next email is from Susan Widdowson. Love Susan. Susan's been on a past episode, in fact. Susan writes, here are some packing tips that have helped me in the past. We just had that episode uh, talking with how to pack for a cruise. Um, Over-the-counter medications. Susan writes, I pack a few basic over-the-counter medications for pain, stomach problems, cold, and sinuses. I purchased some tiny Ziploc bags from the jewelry section of my local craft store. I put a few pills of each medication in a bag, label with the name of the medication, dosage, and expiration date. I then store them in a travel soap storage box to keep them together and prevent crushing. Toiletries. I've always taken those small bottles of toiletries only to bring back most of what I took. So I purchased very small containers and used them for several ways to see how long the contents lasted. I can now take smaller containers to save space and weight. When we went on the Harmony Transatlantic and roamed for several days beforehand, I was looking for an easy, compact way to transport my toiletries. I have some tiny stacking containers that fit very well in my bag, but only hold enough for one week of cream lotion gels. I got out my seal a meal and put it to good use. I cut slash I sealed small baggies to hold my creams, lotions, and gels. I labeled each one and put them all in a Ziploc bag. They stored and traveled very well, and when I needed them, I just used the manicure scissors to clip a corner. I took a few paper clips to fold and seal them once they're used. Packing keeps are the best thing ever. I've used them for years and even give them as gifts. Wow, these are great tips. First of all, I've never even heard of the toiletry stuff, Susan, so I love that tip. Thank you so much. And the packing cubes, I said this on the podcast, but I know a lot of people swear by them, including you, Susan. But I will point out that I just – I don't know. Maybe I think it's one of those things, Susan, where I have to see it in practice and I'm like, ah, then I understand. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy like that. In fact, I know I'm crazy like that. But <laughs> thank you for the emails, Susan. Always love hearing from you. Next, we have an email from Tracy in Miami. Greetings, Matt. Love the blog, streams, and live blogs. I saw you post about drink cards on Navigator. This is not a question. I'm going on Oasis of these back-to-back in August. If those cards become available on week one, could I use unused portion carryover to week two? Keep the good work, and thank you. So Tracy's talking about those drink punch cards, essentially, where so at some point during the cruise, usually around midway through the cruise, like night four, night five on a seven-night cruise, you will start to see, you may see, you not always, it's Not guaranteed. they may not show up, but we have seen from time to time on certain sailings, these punch cards available where you spend, you pay a certain amount of money, usually around $60 to $90, depends on the sailing and ship and whatnot, but you pay a certain amount of money and it's a flat fee for the, uh, for 10 drinks, right? So assuming that you pay, let's say you pay $80 for the drink card and there are 10 drinks on there. Basically, that means every drink is worth $8. And uh, considering that most of the menu prices for a cocktail are going to run you about you know, $12, thereabouts, $12 to $13, well, that's a pretty good deal because now you're saving $4 to $5 a drink, right? If you follow that math there. Um, so they're wonderful. And the other best thing about the drink cards is you can share them. Unlike the drink packages, drink cards you can share. So I can get one, right? I can buy one I can share it with my wife or my friends. And likewise. So uh, it has some really nice benefits in terms of being able to get your value out of it. Now, your question is, can you buy a drink card on week one and then on week two, use it on week two, any unused portions? The answer to that is no, officially not. Now, granted, I haven't tried it, but my understanding, and certainly would make sense, uh, once you buy the drink cards for that sailing only, it says so in the fine print at the bottom. And certainly, Tracy, if you bought it on week one and then on day one or two of the cruise to in which the drink card is not available yet or if ever you know they may be like they're going to look at you like what is this because this isn't cool they they know the difference so uh Tracy unfortunately the answer is no but again you can share them that's really really where i think the value is Tracy is being able to share those drink cards because if again if you're there with your spouse or with family or friends uh, you can it's easier to get money's worth out of it because again you can share the the benefits of it and that can really go a lot further so it's a good email. Thank you for uh, sending it in there. I think we have time for one more email, and that is going to be from. Who's our? I'm trying to read the. Uh... Ah, oh, it's from my good friend Murph. Sorry, couldn't, Sorry, Murph, I can't read. Um, Murph from Durham, North Carolina. And uh, in terms of airline check-in, Murph says, an advantage to doing a back-to-back cruise is for people that fly in. They only have to deal with one air trip. Unlike you, Matt, I must fly to my port to begin my cruise. My question is in regards to checking in for my return flight. On my last cruise, that allowed us to check in the day before the cruise ends, which saves time getting to the airport. Do you know what the policy of Royal Caribbean is for check-in? Is there a cost? Is it limited to certain airlines? Thanks for the podcast. Keep up the good work. Now, there's a couple ways to answer you this question, right? Royal Caribbean offers a service called Luggage Valley. It's only available in select ports, which I believe are Fort Lauderdale and Port Canaveral. There may be others. Forgive me if I'm incorrect here. I'm reading off Royal Caribbean's website. Uh, and only certain airlines like American, Delta, United, U.S. Airways, JetBlue, and Southwest. But basically, they allow you to uh, – it's, it's a service is offered on board where guests can bypass traditional airport check-ins, and basically they – uh, checking all their stuff on board the ship, and then it's all expedited for them. Now, if your question is more like, "Hey, I'm going on a flight, and I want to get my, I want to check in online, so that I can avoid the counter because I'm not checking the luggage or something like that." then the answer is you'll need to use internet service. I have heard, though, that if you go to guest services or if you're a suite guest going to concierge, they'll be able to let you do that. I think these this day and age, a lot of people, Murph, end up getting a boom package anyway because it's fairly inexpensive and you can obviously check in quite easily over there. I would point out, though, if you're not doing luggage valet and you have to check luggage, which means you're going to the counter anyway, checking in online, I don't know the purpose of it. I mean, I don't know when Southwest Airlines you have to reserve a seat, right? So that, or a boarding group, not seat. You reserve a boarding group and the earlier you check in, the better your number is. And, that, and again, that falls back onto what I just said earlier about using Zoom to, to do that. And certainly you can buy Voom for just a day or for just checking. You can probably go to guest service and be like, hey, look, I got to check in for my guest services or for my uh, airline. Can you guys help me with this? Usually they're pretty accommodating about that kind of thing. Um, but I guess it kind of depends what you're asking for, whether you're asking about a luggage valet or you're asking about just checking in in general. But again, um, in terms of luggage valet, it's all only it's only listed on their website at, for use in Fort Lauderdale and Port Canaveral and for the airlines, American Airlines, Delta, United, U.S. Airways, JetBlue, and Southwest Airlines. Again, this information may be out of date. I'm not sure, but I'm just reading it off for Alcrum's website. So what I'm basically trying to say, Murph, is don't shoot the messenger here. I haven't used it personally, so I really can't speak for it, but I know a lot of folks swear by it. They think it's the greatest thing on Earth. So uh, something certainly something to... to to consider, And I would, again, regardless talk to to guest relations once you're on board for specific qualifications and what you need to do and pricing and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that helps you out there a little bit, Murph. It wasn't quite the answer I'm sure you were anticipating, but uh, it's a good question. And certainly if anyone has any definitive information, that'd be awesome. You can, of course, email me matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And if anyone has any questions or anything on your mind about Royal Caribbean, again, I welcome it over here. You can send me an email matt, M-A-T-T, at matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Royal Cream Block podcast. Thank you so much for everyone for the wonderful emails. Thank you to Pippa for joining us. So until next time, I'm Matt Hodgeberg, and we'll talk again soon.